the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. We have had a problem lately in Chicago with uh, people jumping off ledges. We've always had a problem with people jumping off ledges in Chicago. And uh, so many so that the police department has come out with a regulation uh, on how to handle a guy on a ledge. You know, the patrolman on the beat. The first point is never go out on the ledge in your uniform. You see, because the, the image of authority may be just the reason they're out there to begin with. Secondly, you should be very casual and never issue any direct commands to them. You see, never antagonize them. And thirdly, and this is really, I suppose, a main point, uh, be completely unsympathetic because basically they want to be talked out of it. So I would like to present a Chicago policeman under this new regulation. He sees a guy on a ledge. 
he slips into his sport jacket and <laughs> I think he would probably light a cigarette and then he would walk out on the ledge, something like this. Oh, hi. You, uh, you thinking about jumping, are you? Your first time, is it? <laughs> Me? No, no, I'm, I'm on my way to work, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I usually walk around the ledges. I find it kind of <laughs> helps me unwind. I don't know. You, uh, you don't happen to be in advertising uh, by any chance, do you? <laughs> Yeah, it was more than a lucky guess. We got a, we got a lot of advertising people out here. <laughs> oh, which which way did you come out, by the way? Did you come out through the window, or did you come around the corner of the building? <laughs> no, the the reason I asked, uh, there are two other advertising guys on the southeast corner. I thought maybe. <laughs> no, as as a matter of fact, I I didn't get their names. Um, I think one guy had the Edsel account or something like that. <laughs> you know, you're, you're drawing a hell of a crowd for a weekday. <laughs> yeah, really. The last couple of years, uh, jumping has, has really uh, fallen off. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I... No, really, seriously. Uh, you, you take 1929, for example, uh, you literally couldn't get out on this ledge in 1929. <laughs> no, we, we had people uh, lined up in the corridors just waiting to get out on the ledge. <laughs> finally, uh, we finally went to that numbered card system they use in the butcher shop, you, you probably see. <laughs> well, you see the, see the cart down there? Yeah, the, the hot dog stand? That's Sam, the hot dog man. Hi, Sam, how are you? How's, how's the what? I just tell them, hell of a crowd for a Thursday, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, have, have you eaten, by the way? Well, don't be so. Uh, two, Sam. <laughs> you, you, want, you want everything on it? Uh, two, two with everything, Sam. No, no, to go, Sam, to go. Something turned you in. Yeah, you see, see the, the guys with the net down there? Yeah, they're, they're firemen. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'll give you a little tip there. You, you might kind of edge your way toward the corner of the building, you see. Then they'll start to follow you. Then you run back here and jump. <laughs> well, they, they get all confused and they start pulling different directions. They'll, they'll never make it back in time, believe me. Don't be silly. I'm glad to do it for you. Listen, gee, I really ought to be getting to work, you know. I'd love to stay around and catch it. No, don't be silly. Take, take your own sweet time about it. Yeah, that is a long way down, isn't it? You, um, you're kind of chickening out now, huh? That happens quite a bit. You, you, you have a certain responsibility to those people down there, though. I, I, well, some of them in there a half an hour or so, you know. No, it's, it's up to you. I mean, uh, 
If you don't want to, you, you know, you don't have to. Well, all right, sure. Uh, well, listen, I'll, I'll get in and then, and then you follow me, all right? Okay. Oh, uh, uh, one... Now, where the hell did he go? This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour has written the second novel uh, in a four-book series, kind of an unconventional four-book series. Um, This second installment is called Shattered Midnight by my guest, Danielle Clayton. She joins me by phone. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Now, this is part of the Bells series? Oh, no, the Mirror series. Oh, the Mirror series. mm -hmm, It's an innovative series that has four authors sort of sharing a universe. And um, you wrote the Bells series. I wrote the Bell series, yeah. So it was oh, my first okay. series with Disney, and this is my second series with Disney. And it's the second book in a series of four, but now how does this work exactly? There are four books in the series, but all written by different authors. Are they sequential? Are they standalone? How, how exactly does that work? It's kind of cool. It's like a collection. They function as standalones, but they're even better if you read them in order because we start with Broken Wish by Julie C. Dow, which kicks us off in 1865, Hanau, Germany, which is where the brothers Grimm grew up. So we've got super fairy tale vibes, dark, brooding, Germanic forest. We've got a witch and a family. They have a bargain. They make a bargain. The bargain is broken. And that broken promise sets off a curse that none of them could foresee. And that curse ripples out. And then, so that's all set up in the first book. And then you meet my character, Zora, in Shattered Midnight. She is the granddaughter of one of the characters from book one. And now we see how the curse has metastasized and has snowballed through history and is now affecting this generation of the family. Now, what what happens if you, how do you go back and explain how you got to be in this current incarnation? Well, it's a cool series in that um, I'm a Disney author. And so when um, one of my editors came to me, Brittany, and said, hey, I want to do this super cool new kind of fantasy series where we've got four authors and their unique voices writing in the same universe with each other. And here's the big story. Right, And she was our story architect, and she laid down sort of the foundational plot. And then the four of us got to to meet together and talk through all of the other details. Um, There are magical objects that show up in each book, 
and those magical objects have a history and they are intertwined with characters who you've met. There's a magic mirror, there are magic shoes, um, there's lots of little Easter eggs and if you look at the covers of the books you can find some of them and each thing connects to the next and so with the next two books we're going to pick up with other generations of the family but you're going to see some of the characters that you've already met or you're going to hear about them and what happened to them and how the curse continues to affect so it's like being in my own tv writer's room that's how it felt we were in there in the trenches together developing these books as a unit now speaking of being in your own tv writer's room don't you have uh a Netflix original series coming up soon? I have one, yes. I have I have one that's already on Netflix, and I have one that's coming soon. So the first one is based off of my first novel, Tiny Pretty Things, which is about three girls in a ballet boarding school who are willing to do whatever it takes to be the best, and that came out of my experience being a an English teacher at a dance school, um, boarding school and so that's already on Netflix right now so you can check that out and then I wrote a book with some of my very close friends that came out in June of last year called Blackout it was with authors Angie Thomas, Nick Stone um, Tiffany D. Jackson Nicola Yoon and Ashley Woodfolk and that book is now being developed into a movie and into a TV show for Netflix by the Obamas well, that is so cool. I, for some reason, I was thinking maybe it had something to do with your uh, Bells series. Not yet. I'm hoping to have news about that soon. Because that's, that's a New York Times bestseller. It is. It is. But it's also fancy, and those things take a little bit longer than contemporary because they're expensive. Ah. It's hard creating whole new worlds, or whole old worlds. <laughs> it is. It really is hard, and it is exciting, but it is, it's hard. You've got to get people to fall in love with fantasy and suspend disbelief. And what's so great about the Mirror series is that these are world. this is a world that you already know, or we think we know what 1920s looks like. In, we know what it looks like in New York and in Chicago because that's what shows up in all the movies. But now we get 1920s New Orleans, but there's magic there. And in some fantasies, we go to all new worlds, which is a little bit harder. You know, I, I noticed that, you know, this takes place in, in New Orleans. And New Orleans has kind of a magic about it to begin with. I mean, it's not a real stretch to imagine magic in New Orleans. And I remember an interview I heard, it might have been public radio, um, Danielle, they, they asked this uh, New Orleans resident if they'd been to see this new museum, the Museum of the Abnormal. And he That's said, fun. well, all of New Orleans is abnormal. They need a museum <laughs> of the normal. <laughs> they really do. Just like New York, it's a city full of strange people um, and strangeness and strange history. And what I love about New Orleans and why I wanted to write this book was because I feel like it's a haunted city. And it's haunted for many reasons. There's so many people who came in and out of there, those strange cobblestones. I feel like, and they bury people above ground, and I just feel like all of that has trapped a lot of ghosts <laughs> in that town, and I and I love it. I, it's one of my favorite places in the world. More with author Danielle Clayton, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Danielle Clayton straight ahead. In your book, in your installment of this series, um, the main character sings. Yes, she sings and she plays every instrument. How much did that grow out of being set in New Orleans or how much of being set in New Orleans grew out of the fact that she was musical? Um, That's a very good question. I've never been asked that question before. She moved from Harlem to New Orleans and her magic has always been rooted in music. And so I was looking at sort of what things are super important to the black American community that I could make magical that could relate to how her magic manifests. And so you learn in book one that there are different kinds of magic wielders and that things that people are good at. And I thought, okay, if I could design a a magic system um, and take what Julie had set up in the first book, and talk about these characters, I wanted to really root their magic in their community so it could have a texture to it. So Zora's mother is a cook and a chef and and makes magical food, and that's her power. And Zora has the power, her music um, is powerful, very, very powerful, the music she makes. And so it really came out of the community, the community of both New York and the community of New Orleans, which both in the 20s had such a strong musical identity as cities. Um, jazz was, was you know, was there, and everyone was loving it. So that's, that's where it came out of. Yeah, Amer- America's true art form. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I wanted to bring it home to its roots, which jazz came out of, you know, the black American South. Um, and those musicians in the Delta of Mississippi, where my family is from, and New Orleans. That's the birthplace. And I wanted to do a homage to those. There's an interracial component to this storyline in Shattered Midnight. Yes. And, and I, you know, I, I was really surprised to find a, a couple I know, musicians that have been married for more than 50 years now, um, She's black, he's white, they've been together forever. But I didn't realize when they first moved to New Orleans, they were illegal. That's right. And it was illegal for black musicians to perform with white musicians. And I, I couldn't believe that that was true in New Orleans. I understood oh, yeah. it around the rest of the country, but New Orleans was such a, a collection of different influences over time that that just that just stunned me yeah it's shocking it's shocking to think that new orleans which is a place that like was made by so many as the melting pot of the italians of the french of the spaniards of the haitians of the caribbean like people coming from the caribbean it is such a little melting pot but the color line was really strong in jim crow south and so it was illegal and i went to new orleans three times and I went to the historical society. I looked at all the microfilm for the year that she was alive in 19 in the 1920s and what was in the headlines. Right. And so it was very strict. And, um, I found articles and I found, um, things that showed that 
club owners would be fined for black and white musicians to be making music together. Um, so it was a real, a real thing. And so for her love story, her love story brings together the two branches of the family that you meet in the first book. Philip is a descendant of one of the characters in the first book. And so we know they, that line has to come together. So whether or not Zora is very interested in Philip at first, he grows on her. And they have to deal with what it means to be in love across the color line and that they could go to jail. They could be killed and they have to take the risk. How much research did you have to do, Danielle, to, to really capture the 20s for this story to unfold during the I 20s? I did a ton of research. I mean, I'm a librarian by trade, so research is my favorite thing to do. And <laughs> when it is, I just, I could get lost in it all day. And so living in New York, I, I went to the public library and I asked, resources on New Orleans and they were like we don't have these resources I was like oh woe is me that means I have to take a trip to New Orleans (laughs) (laughs) oh darn (laughs) oh darn (laughs) and so I went down there and I met with a bunch of librarians and and took out the microfilm and spent like two or three weeks just immersing myself in what it would have been like and I told the librarians about the story that I was trying to tell and they helped me and pulled out maps of the French Quarter from this time period that have been charted, um, that they have. These, like, old documents, I had to wear white gloves. I had to, to take a look at all of these um, primary sources from the time period, and I needed to see it because I needed to bring that texture into the book. What clothes were people wearing? What, how much did they cost? What was the favorite department store? Where did, you know what I mean? What was everybody eating and drinking? And where did everyone want to go? That's the stuff that makes it feel real. And I needed to be in the city to do that. So I did a lot of writing of the book while in New Orleans and while and, researching and talking to librarians. You know, you just mentioned very parenthetically a phrase that um, I'm probably one of the few people outside of librarians who know what microfilm is. Yes, I realized I was like, oh, people probably don't know what that is, but I'm obsessed with microfilm. You put it in there and you can see all of the digitized um, newspapers. Um, And I have a strange obsession with newspapers. My grandfather and my father would read the paper, you know, and I would see them reading the paper. And so I read the paper. I'm like, you know, like it's just something that's important to me. And so I went and I read the papers from 1929 for the entire year and printed them um, and absorbed them to really get a sense of the temperature of what it was like to be in that time. What was, what were people talking about? What were they, what were the headlines? So I'm a little bit obsessed with the news. Well, the book that, that, um, that you've written is the second in a four part series, the mirror series. And it's, um, called Shattered Midnight. When you're writing this story, Danielle, are are you able to just write the story however you want the story to be and then it's... Or, or do you need to know what has happened before and what's coming? Or is that a function of... Was her name Brittany, the editor, that, that knows the over 
arch, uh, arching uh, story arc? Yeah, so it's a combination. Um, I knew I was focused on what had already come before, right? So I read Julie's book, Broken Wish, a bunch of times. I wrote down exactly how she describes certain characters, how her uh, magical objects manifested, and also how, um, how her magic worked and how it was described. Then, when I started building the framework for um, Shattered Midnight, I used that as a springboard to snowball off of because it's been several, it's been decades. So things change. So I thought, what kinds of changes could we make now that we are in the new world? We've left Germany. We're in the new world. We're in New York. How does that influence magic and history and culture in this family? Um, how does it complicate it? And so I just spun off of what she set up, but then also talking to J.C. Cervantes, who is the next book, Fractured Path, she asked me to plant just a couple of things in the book to make some stuff in hers work. So it was a really fun puzzle. And if you like puzzles, this is the series for you. Oh, that is fun. And and what's interesting, how much how much of the first book is origin story or or does it does it play out that chronologically it plays out chronologically it is origin story but it's also like here's the here's the family here's the broken promise here are the stakes here's the um the rash boon that happens in in fairy tales right it sets up the landscape for the curse and the stakes of it and in my book shows the first part of the ramifications of it right it's one thing to start a curse which is what happens in the book you see you're like no the curse the curse you see it but now it's like now what is it going to do to everybody else we saw the consequences in book one and now we see the larger consequences in my book how how were you approached about this danielle i'm not sure how i would go about asking telling somebody yeah we're going to do these four books but we just want you to do one of these in the middle oh yeah so (laughs) it's strange um but because i'm a disney author and i did the bell series with disney they already like i already work well with them so they came to me and said hey we've got this really cool innovative one of its kind type of a series and collection that we want to do. And I like being part of anything that's cutting edge or different. I like a creative puzzle. And that's what was presented to me. And so I got really excited. And then they told me that Julie C. Dow and J.C. Cervantes and L.L. McKinney were going to be part of the series too. And I thought, I love all of these women and their brains and their individual work. I got to be a part of this. So it was like, it was this fear of missing out, honestly. I had to be in there because I couldn't. I didn't want to miss out. How long? How long did it take you to write this this second book, and how long did it take for the first book to come out? And where I'm going with this is wondering um, if uh, what, if any, influence uh, the pandemic and quarantines have had on on this project. Yes. So the first book came out during the pandemic. Um, and so, and it just was upsetting. It came out in the fall of 2020 and then Shattered Midnight was supposed to come out in the fall of 2021, but because of the supply chain issue, it got bumped to January. So we're in 2022, but 
what was interesting is that the last place that I visited before the world shut down in March, I was in New Orleans. I had to cut my research trip short in order to get back um, because New York City was closing and, and closing its borders and the city was shutting down and grounding flights. And so this was the book that I was working on going into the pan and going into the pandemic. And so I had had one or two drafts and I was finishing up my, um, you know, my, my big revision of it during the pandemic. And so it definitely came out of that, um, out of that experience. Was it, um, were you able to make good use of that time? Yes and no. I, I mean, yes, that I, I also was able to pull together a book that I had come out last year called Blackout with my friends because we needed a bit of joy and some love stories, a big love story in the world. But it was really hard to write. I mean, it's still hard to write. We're still in a pandemic. We're still sort of in quarantine. I'm in New York, so everything is like really tense and, you know, Omicron is raging. So I'm indoors much, but it's hard to get that creative muscle going because for me, I feed my creative well by being out in the world, traveling, going to school visits and talking to teens and kids, um, going and eavesdropping in a cafe, right? Listening to dialogue. Sure. Listening to some, a couple argue. We can't, I can't do any of that. I've so talk, I'm, I've I am talk, having a hard time. Yeah, I've <laughs> talked to a handful of writers who say, you know, I look back over the time and think of all this time I could have spent, but... I was like a deer in the headlights, you know, I, I, yeah. you know, wasn't nearly as productive as, as I would like to have been. Um, I, I know some other people who've gone the other way and made great use of the time, but I'm surprised at the number of people who found it difficult to take advantage of, um, you know, that, that indoors time. Yes. I found it very difficult. It's about the focus. It's about, you know, the news cycle being 24-7 and me being worried and that worrying, the collective worry, blocking the creative. Um, and so that's, that's why I struggled, like a lot of other creatives. My guest is uh, Danielle Clayton. She is the uh, New York Times bestselling author of the Bells series. And uh, some cool things on Netflix now and in the future, but uh, her latest book is Shattered Midnight, the second novel in a uh, four-book series from the fine folks at Disney uh, called The Mirror. And um, Danielle, I, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do, DanielleClayton.com. And then also I lurk on social media, um, not as much as I, I would like to. I'm just not that great. Um, but on Twitter and on Instagram, at Brown Bookworm. You'll find me there. Danielle, tell me just a little bit about the Bells series. Sure. The Bells series is a secondary world, um, and in that world, you can change yourself down to your bones for the right price. You can change anything about yourself, your height, wow. your personality, your hair texture, your skin tone, your body type, um, anything you want. 
Um, and it's about a group of women who magically control beauty and what people look like in a society that's obsessed with the way that you look. And I wrote this series because when I was a teacher, I was watching how teens started to assign value to the way that they looked, and it became this, like, de facto second currency um, from clothing to who didn't have acne, who, who had money to... Uh, dress in a certain way, and I noticed that a hierarchy was beginning to form in terms of dating and friends and desirability, and I wanted to have a discussion about how dark that could get. If we could create designer bodies, what would we do with that? Um, so it's my little dark obsession, my little my fantasy. <laughs> it's completely different than, than what I thought, and I, the title sounded very familiar to me, and I was curious if it was some work I was familiar with, and sadly I'm not. Um, I, I may change that in the very near future. But um, what's next for you, Danielle? Oh, it's a great question. I am so excited. My next book that comes out <clears throat> that I'm thrilled is for younger readers. It's for upper elementary school and middle school, and it's called The Marvelers, and it's a it's about a girl who goes to a magic school in the sky where children from all over the world come to practice their magic. Um, and it's about sort of what happens when the whole world comes together to, to practice their magic and find out what's marvelous about them. But danger is afoot. So I'm very excited uh, to take everyone to magic school. When you're creating a world with magic in it, um, or, or at the very least, a story with magic in it. Are there boundaries? Yeah, boundaries meaning, I mean, you have to have a system. Magic has a price, and um, magic has rules, and it has an internal logic and cohesion. And so I think that there are lots of things to consider when you create magic, and magic systems are so important to me. I nitpick them I, you know, get angry and excited about them, especially when there's an adaptation on TV. Um, I can deep dive and get really nerdy about magic. And I don't think magic has boundaries. I think magic has rules and it has logic and it, and it needs to feel like it has a consequence because magic should never be free. Are you able to write full time? I am. I do write full time. Um, which is both a burden and a, 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 a burden, <laughs> a curse, and a pleasure, <laughs> because there is no escape from my computer. Oftentimes, I fall asleep with my computer. I am chained to it, um, and I love it because so many people do want to write full time. But I can't say that I don't miss my library and talking to my students, especially during the pandemic when. I got no interaction. I didn't get to go on school visits. I didn't get to go see libraries and, you know, uh, go around the country. So I do write full time um, and I'm beholden to my deadlines. I'm on two deadlines right now. Are, are so. you a pretty disciplined writer? Do you use an outline and, and stick to a, a certain schedule or do you just binge write? It sounds a little like you sort of binge write, but... Yeah, I'm in the middle. So I call myself a headlights writer. I can only see as far as the headlights on a dark road. So I see about six chapters ahead of me at any given time. And then once I see those six chapters, then I 
try to see a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until I get to the end. So it's a little bit um, chaotic. I don't write every day. I can't. It's not the way my muscle works. I also have carpal tunnel, so I have to rest my hands. Um, but I'm always ideating and working in story because people don't realize that the research, that the thinking about story is also as valuable as the writing it. So um, I don't write every day. I write probably four times out of the week and then a lot on weekends. That's when I get a lot of my focus because no one's calling me or emailing me <laughs> about things. Or I write between midnight and 3 a.m., which heard, is weird. I, I heard an interview with Stephen King and. uh, uh, the question, it wasn't mine, um, the, the question was, uh, did he write to a muse or to a schedule? And he said, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. See? <laughs> I, need to, I need to follow that, that direction. I'm just not a morning person. I'm a night owl, so I, I get my creative groove like 10 p.m., which is terrible because then I'll go to bed at 3 and um, it's just a bad cycle. So I need to follow his instructions. I should try them. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Well, yeah, he's he's had a lot out there. I remember asking, um, oh, shoot, what's her name from the West Coast? She's written a ton of books. Oh, well. Uh, I was asking her if she thought she'd written more books or Stephen King had written more books. She says, I think I have more titles, but I think Stephen's written more words. Exactly. <laughs> who who does that kind of counting? I love it. I mean, authors are definitely petty. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we have a pet. <laughs> they can't be too petty if you can get four of them to work together on a series like The Mirror an unconventional four-book series. And uh, Danielle Clayton, my guest, is the author of the second in the series, Shattered Midnight. Danielle, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great interview. Well, thank, thank, you, so thank you. You were fun. Um, and keep up the good work. Thanks. I appreciate it. Take, I hope to talk to you again. I hope so, too. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Danielle Clayton, the uh, New York Times best-selling author of the Bells series, and um, the second novel in a uh, unconventional four-book series from Disney called *The Mirror*. Her book uh, is just out now, called *Shattered Midnight*. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs>
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community School, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Long Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have them. Yes, one. Speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. Why I not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. 
and your mother's doctor, and your college roommate's doctor, and your best friend from high school's doctor, and your babysitter. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. No woman to 
talking about sunshine, better than sunshine, better than moonshine, damn sure better than the Let your soul shine Let it shine on Till the break of day Talking about sunshine, better than sunshine, better than moonshine, damn sure better than the rain. The people don't mind. We all feel this way sometimes. You got to let your soul shine, let it shine up till the break of day.
new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I'm always amazed at how fast the time goes by during this three-hour tour. I want to say thanks to the people who make it go by so fast, my guests. Um, <clears throat> starting with this third hour, um, Danielle Clayton, New York Times bestselling author of the Bells series, and a uh, series coming soon on Netflix as well. But uh, talking about her book, which is uh, book two in an unconventional four-book series from uh, Disney um, called The Mirror, her book, uh, her installment, the book two, if you will, is Shattered Midnight. And before that, um, fascinating conversation with uh, introvert marketer, goat herder, <laughs> etc. Monica Parkin talking about uh, her book, Overcoming Awkward, which aims to help introvert, introverts thrive in the workplace, maybe uh, some of whom have been actually kind of enjoying being on quarantine or lockdown. And before that, we started the, uh, the show out today with Jordan Cheriton. He's been on the show uh, several times um, he is an investigative reporter. He's worked on the Flint uh, water crisis for several years and for several different publications, but he teamed up with Pulitzer Prize-winning Michigan journalist Charlie LeDuff for a piece in The Guardian just recently with the headline, Revealed the Flint Water Poisoning Charges That Never Came to Light. I hope you... Uh, got a chance to hear that. If not, go to the archive and uh, pull it up. Jordan Cheriton. Interesting conversation, to be sure. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters. Tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room for the weekend. Good night, everybody. The Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.